have a Bible with you, please have it open at Matthew chapter 24. We'll be considering verses 29 to 44. This is part three in a mini-series, Facing the Future, Facing the Future number three. Uh, Today, be ready. How do you handle uh, not knowing the future? It's hard, isn't it, waiting for things that we aren't sure about. It's hard waiting for your exam results or uh, perhaps a decision from a university you've applied for. Will you be able to go there to university of choice or not? Or maybe it's a job interview. Will you get that job? Uh, Will you get married or will you remain single? All these things about the future uh, that we don't know about, it can be very uh, troubling for us, and we can, can make us anxious. And it's one of the things that makes us feel our smallness, isn't it? The fact that we don't know the future. But we can be absolutely sure about some things in the future because they're in the Bible. Everything that we need to know about the future now is there. For those who believe in Jesus, we can have peace And hope. Even as we face uncertainty in our lives about many things, we can have peace and hope by God's grace about the future. Jesus had told his disciples as he goes on through his life with them, as he spends those three years uh, training his disciples and teaching them and showing them his miracles and uh, training them to take his word to others, he begins to teach them more and more that he is going to die. And then he's going to rise again. He tells them he's going away, but then he'll come back. And now, as we come to this chapter of Matthew 24, he's just told them that one day the temple is going to be destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem, where God was worshipped, was going to be destroyed. Not one stone would be left on another. And the disciples wanted to know more about these things. They said to Jesus, they came to him in private and said, uh, this they said chapter 24 verse 3 tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age and they link these two things the destruction of the temple and the end of the age when when Jesus would come back and Jesus answered them it says well we've been thinking about those when I've been speaking this whole whole chapter uh Jesus takes this opportunity to teach his disciples about the future. And we can be thankful that they ask those questions because we have preserved for us in the Bible the answers that Jesus gave to them. It takes a bit of unraveling, uh, but they're very helpful. We can compare these, uh, what Jesus said here with other places in the Bible, and we can put two and two together and we can learn about the future. Verses 4 to 14 of this chapter Jesus tells his disciples the general pattern of the last days. That time through all of history, from the time when Jesus was on the earth for the first time, all the way to the end of the present age when Jesus comes back. And these are the times that we are living in. So verses 4 to 14, the general pattern of the last days. What are some of the marks of these times in which we live? Jesus speaks about lots of bad things happening, wars and rumors of wars. Is that which prompted me to 
go to this chapter was the war in Gaza and more and more conflict and wars and rumors of wars, uh, natural disasters, persecution, false prophets. But there's something, along with all those bad things, there's something good too. The good news of Jesus is going out to all the nations. Verse 14, when that, it's only when that great task is finished, it's then that the end will come. So these bad things are like the pains of childbirth, says in verse 8. One day a better world will be born. And that good news of the Lord Jesus brings that certain hope of a better world for those who believe in him, a world that's free of sickness and pain and all those terrible things that we don't like. It's a perfect world filled with righteousness. And then in, we looked last time in verses 15 to 26, Jesus speaks about the specific events that would lead to the temple in Jerusalem being destroyed when the Roman armies would surround Jerusalem. And Luke makes that very specific in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. It's slightly easier in Luke, but the Roman armies will surround Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed at that point, and the Old Testament system of worship finally ends. If you go to the book of Hebrews, it makes clear that that was what was going to happen and that is finished. It's gone forever. We don't need those things anymore because Jesus has come, the one that all those things were pointing to. But the end of the temple wasn't the end of the world. It probably felt like that to the disciples whose lives had been so bound up with that place, the history of their people and so on, the place where God had put his name. But the end of the world wasn't yet. Despite what false teachers who came around that time would say, they would say, oh, Jesus is over there. He's come. He's in the desert. He's over there. He's gone here. Go and go out there. Jesus said, don't believe such people. The end is not yet. The real coming of Jesus will be impossible to miss. Verse 27. For as the lightning comes, from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. You won't be. It won't be hidden in a corner. It'll be unmistakable. Everyone will see it. And so from verse 29 onwards, Jesus leaves behind at the fall of Jerusalem that happened in AD 70. We can look back in history and see that it happened. But everything he says after this is, has to do with one big theme. What's that theme? Well, it's the coming of the Son of Man. The coming of the Son of Man from verses 29 to 31. He speaks about this, his coming again. Verse 29, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, what does that mean? Immediately after the tribulation of those days. He says certain things will happen. Well, after which tribulation? We'll have all kinds of questions in our minds at this point. Which tribulation? Is it the fall of Jerusalem? We might think so as we read through the passage at first sight. But Luke chapter 21, verse 24, makes it clear that there's actually considerable time between the fall of Jerusalem and the Lord's Return. Uh, Luke 21, 24 says that Jerusalem 
will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And so there's going to be a period of time between the fall of Jerusalem and Jesus coming again. It's that time when the gospel is going out to all the nations. That will take considerable time. Jesus says immediately after those days, he's not talking about the fall of Jerusalem, but the end of that entire period of time that we've looked at previously in verses 4 to 14. It's after the tribulation of those days, that whole sweep of time. All through those last days, the troubles of those days, then the end will come. That's what it says in verse 14. Then the end will come. And in verses 29 to 31, Jesus takes us back to that event for the second time in his uh, conversation with the disciples here. Verse 14 speaks about him coming again. And then in verses 29 to 31, Jesus goes back there and he gives more detail this time around. And he's, he's helping to answer that question that the disciples asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So what will happen when Jesus comes back? Verse 29, the sun, <coughs> the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So what a dramatic event Jesus coming back will be. All these associated things immediately surrounding it. Even the sun and moon and stars will stop shining. The end of day and night, morning and evening that have been there since the beginning of creation when God made the world in the first place. The end of seed time and harvest of the seasons. Those things that are there for all of history, that have been there through all of time so far, will disappear. There's no need for them anymore. And it's clear there that those who don't belong to Jesus will be very sad. They'll be mourning, it says. It, it'll, the tribes, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will be, they will be in great uh, distress. They'll be dreadfully afraid. Luke says that they will be, there'll be great roaring of the waves in the sea and they will be terrified. Luke 21 verses 25 to 26. They will see the Lord Jesus <coughs> coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And it'll be a dazzling thing. He won't be coming back in a corner. He will be coming back in power. With a brightness that will make people hide their faces. Here are people who have refused to believe in Jesus. And now it's too late. The judge has arrived and judgment day has come for the whole world. What a terrible time that will be for those who haven't believed in Jesus. Don't let that, don't let that be 
you. We might want to brush these things aside and to push them to the back of our minds. But Jesus is telling us these things so that we can be ready, so that we can be prepared for that day. We don't know if we'll be alive when he actually comes again. But if we're not alive when he returns, then we'll die first and we will meet our judge after we die. It will be too late then. We can't afford to brush these things to the back of our minds. The sun, moon and stars, they will be in turmoil. They will stop shining. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this time. Isaiah 34 verse 4 says this, all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. It's been spoken about before in the Old Testament, and Jesus is speaking about it now to his disciples. The Apostle John says similar things in Revelation 6, verse 13. He says, and I looked, and when the Lamb opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And there John says that people cry out in terror, to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? What a terrible day. What a terrifying day uh, that is for those who don't know the Lord Jesus. Here is the sudden, powerful unmistakable return of the Son of Man. This is the one that the prophet Daniel saw in his vision. Daniel 7, verse 13, in the Old Testament again, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus often spoke of himself while he was on earth as the Son of Man. But this is the Son of Man, not as he was when he was on earth the first time, in the time of his humiliation, uh, when he was tired and uh, when he slept and when he was rubbing shoulders with ordinary people and they didn't, uh, they didn't uh, think he was particularly uh, special in his appearance. No, this is the Son of Man coming, not in his humiliation, but in his full glory, the risen Lord coming in triumph to claim his kingdom. Well, what will the Son of Man do when he returns? Verse 31 says, He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus has these servants of his uh, these messengers, these angels, heavenly beings, and there's a great trumpet sound and he sends them out to gather in his elect from all over the earth. 
Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will send his angels to gather his chosen ones. That's what his elect means, his chosen ones. This is a terrifying day for those who don't know the Lord. But here is good news for the people of God. Jesus will gather together all those that his Father has chosen, all those who have believed in him. Not one of them will be lost. Have you believed in Jesus? Are you trusting in him today to save you from your sins? Well, you won't be lost. He will gather you on that great day. Those who have died already at this at that point, you know from 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14 to 17, they will be resurrected. They will be brought back to life and they will all be brought together. Every one of God's chosen ones will, by God's grace, persevere to the end and they will be saved. The Lord Jesus will make sure of it. He will lose none of those the Father has given him. John 6 verse 39. So from all over the, the world, that's the picture, from the four winds, he will bring them together. One enormous body of people saved by his grace. This life, they were young or old, they might have been poor, they might have been rich, they might have been weak in faith, they may have been strong in faith, but they're all there. No matter who, who you are, how fragile you feel, uh, you will be there if you know the Lord Jesus. And what a joy, what a comfort that is to us struggling uh, believers. Jesus coming again is our ultimate salvation. It's the day of our complete redemption. Now we're living in a world that's so full of trouble. Uh, we face troubles at work, uh, troubles at home, uh, sickness, all kinds of difficulties and, and problems in our lives. We face opposition from the world, from a world that's hostile to God, people mocking our faith. So much injustice, so much suffering in the world. But when the Lord Jesus comes back, he will make everything right. He will make all things new. Are you struggling, a Christian brother or sister? Is life hard for you today? Well, take heart. Jesus is coming again. Paul calls his, our troubles, his troubles and our troubles in the present time, light and momentary affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Now, our troubles never feel light or momentary. They don't tend to feel that way. If we stub our toe, well, that's maybe a minute's worth of pain. That may be momentary. But our ongoing problems, our ongoing health issues, and so on, they don't feel light and momentary afflictions, do they? They feel a long time, year after year, perhaps, for some people. And yet, by comparison with eternity, they are light and momentary. And when we get to that day, we won't, uh, we won't think, well, that was a big trouble that I faced back then. We will be just so full of joy at seeing the Lord Jesus. They're small tiny things compared with the joy of seeing him and the good things that he has promised to us. No, there's no uh, trouble in this life that God doesn't uh, call his people, some of his people somewhere, 
to go through. We're not immune from trouble as Christians. Some people try to say, well, if you become a Christian, God will make you healthy, give you lots of money, a big flashy car, and you can enjoy life, and you can have whatever you want, and it will be yours. You can, God will give it to you. No, life is not like that for the Christian. There are many trials that we face, and every kind of trial that there is, every kind of difficulty that people in general face in this world, Christians face them too. And God is a mystery. Why does God permit these things? Why does God cause us as his people to go through these particular troubles? We don't know. We can't say why he blesses one Christian with health and another has ill health. We have different trials, don't we? But we should be comforted by the fact that one day these things will be behind us. The Lord Jesus is coming again. The coming of the Son of Man. Well, Jesus goes on to draw out here some practical lessons. How does Jesus apply these things to the disciples? He's speaking to them for their good. And Jesus, we find here in verses 32 to 44, moving on in Jesus' conversation with the disciples, here are some lessons that Jesus teaches. It's no good just knowing about these things. They must affect how we live. If they don't, then we are in deep trouble. These things must affect us in the way that we live. And as you read through the New Testament, you realize that the believers in the New Testament had these things very much in their minds. And speaking for myself, I don't have them in my mind enough. What are the takeaway lessons that Jesus teaches here? I think there are two big lessons for us to focus on this afternoon, that Jesus teaches practical applications and expanding on his teaching about the Son of Man coming. The first one is this, the time is near. The time is near, verses 32 to 35. Have you seen, as you've walked around uh, your neighborhood perhaps, or in your own garden, or as you go for a walk in the park, have you noticed those little pointy leaves reaching up toward the sky? Don't you love to see those things? We've got some in our front garden, little pointy leaves coming up, and Carrie-Ann knows what they are. And those are the snowdrops <laughs> uh, coming up, and you can see them around the neighborhood as well in, in different gardens. And in the parks. And I love to see those things. The first hint that spring is coming. We're still in the depths of winter. And yet these things are coming up. Snowdrops. Crocuses. Won't be many weeks until they're flowering. My favorite ones are the daffodils. Bright yellow daffodils. They're on the way a bit later. It's a sure sign when you see these things that spring is coming. Days are getting longer and longer, and soon it'll be spring. Well, Jesus talks not about daffodils. He uses the example of a fig tree. Verse 32 says, now learn this parable, or learn this lesson, this comparison, this picture. Learn from this picture of the fig tree. When its branch is, has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer 
is near. Saying to the disciples, when you see certain things happening uh, to the fig tree, it's a familiar thing to them. They would walk past fig trees as they were going about their business. And when they saw those things happening, they knew that summer was only around the corner. And Jesus says it's like that uh, with him coming again. It says, verse 33, So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. What's near? Well, it's the coming of the Son of Man that he's just been talking about. When you see all these things, know that it is near. When you see all these things, what things? What things is he talking about? He's talking about the marks of the last days that are there in verses 4 to 14. Wars and rumors of wars, natural disasters, persecution, false teachers at work, and so on. What's Jesus' point? He's saying when you see these things happening, you should remember that the time is near for the Son of Man to come. Are these things happening today? Well, yes, they are. You only have to read the news uh, on your phone or wherever it is you read the news these days or see it on TV or listen to it on the radio in the car. These things are happening now. Well, that means the time is near and it's much nearer for us than it was for the disciples that Jesus was speaking to. Jesus says to them, at verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Well, does that mean Jesus is saying that he'll come back before that generation dies out? Well, no, it can't mean that. From our perspective, we can know that because we've had 2,000 years uh, between, roughly between now and then. doesn't mean that. What are these things till all these things take place? Well, it's the tender branches and the fresh leaves on the fig tree that point to summer. It's those things, those, those things that are pictured as, as the changes on the fig tree that point to summer. It's those things that he's talking about. Those things point to the fact that summer is coming, that it's near. They don't say summer is here now. They say summer is coming. And the marks of the last days, they point to the fact that Jesus is coming soon. They don't say he's here now. They say he's coming soon. And all those things, the persecutions, the wars and rumors of wars and so on, all those things did begin to happen while the disciples were still alive. Jesus is coming soon. That's the believer's great hope. The day is drawing near when our faith will become sight, when we will be like him because we will see him as he is. 1 John 3, verse 2. We can be absolutely sure of it. As sure as this table is here in this room, so certain is it that Jesus is coming again. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will by no means pass away. Everything that Jesus says will happen, will happen. People can scoff all all they like, and they do, and Peter says they will in his letter, but it doesn't change the truth of what Jesus says. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. We can look back in history, we can we can read the accounts of, of that happening, just as Jesus had said it would. But the rest of what Jesus says will come true too. 2,000 years. Yes, it's a long time to us, but not to God. This is the next great event in God's calendar for the world. Jesus is coming back. The time is near. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to get hold of. The time is near. Don't brush it aside. Don't put it to the back of your mind. The time is near, he says. What's his other big lesson for us this afternoon? Well, it's this. Be ready. Verse verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. No one, you, could, you have calendars at home, I'm sure you have calendars at home. I had a, got a new calendar recently. Carrie Ann found it in the sales every year. We get calendars in the sales in January because they're cheaper than buying them before Christmas. Um, you've got a calendar at home, you start to write dates in it. When's, when's so-and-so's birthday? And I have to remember to get the card ready and so on. But no one can put the date of the Lord's return on the calendar. No one knows the day. It's in God the Father's secret calendar. He knows when it is. He has fixed the day, but he hasn't told us when that day will be. Despite all the people in history who have foolishly tried to work it out, Jesus says no one knows that day. We're not meant to know. God doesn't want us to know precisely when that day will be. Jesus gives another another illustration at this point, not an illustration from the fig tree this time, but it's a lesson from history. He says that when he comes back, it will be like in Noah's flood. Verse 37, he says, as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When Jesus comes back, people will be carrying on with normal life. They won't wake up that morning and think, well, this is the day when the end of the world is coming. This is a day when history comes to an end. They'll be going out to work. They'll be getting on with their schoolwork. They'll be doing all kinds of things, going on holiday. Everything that you do in normal life, people will be doing when Jesus comes again. For some people, it will be their wedding day. People in some parts of the world will go to bed as normal and Jesus will come in the night. Jesus is coming at a time we 
Don't expect, we don't know a date that we can't put in our calendar, but life will be carrying on as normal in some respects when Jesus comes again. Jesus tells us a bit more what will happen then. He tells us that when he comes back, there will be a great separation. There will be a dividing of people. Verses 40 to 42. Some people will be taken and others left. There will be two men in a field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women grinding grain. Things that were going on in that society at that time. He's using illustrations from everyday life. One will be taken and the other left. Life as normal. One taken and the other left. A great separation. What does that mean? It means that people who belong to Jesus, as he's already said in verse 31, will be gathered by the angels. They'll be taken to meet Jesus. They'll be caught up to meet him in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And the rest will be left to face his judgment unprepared. Now, there are some who say this is talking about something that they call a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, where the church is suddenly removed from the world, and then the world carries on for a time without the church. I don't believe this is teaching that. That's an idea that arose in the 1800s and is now very popular, especially in America. And there are a whole, uh, whole series of imaginary tales in fictional books that are supposed to be about that time. But no, I don't believe the Bible teaches those things. We don't have to go through time to go through everything that to show that. But if you put use the plain passages of the Word of God to interpret the passages that are more difficult, then you can see that this is talking about Jesus coming back once and finally for the great judgment day when that separation happens between His people and those who aren't his people. And he goes on to talk about that separation into sheep and goats in chapter 25. Great separation. What's the point that Jesus wants us to get hold of here? What's the main point? What action does he want us to take? Verse 42, he says, Watch, therefore, (coughs) for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. He's saying to Christians, watch. You don't know the day. You are to watch. To be, In other words, to stay awake, to be ready for Jesus coming again. There's a danger. We live in a world which has many distractions, many temptations, Many things, some of them good things, that absorb our attention. It can be our jobs, it can be our hobbies, our pleasures, things we enjoy doing. It can be the troubles of life, all the cares and troubles and difficulties in our lives. And these things can take our minds off the fact that Jesus is coming again. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't be drugged by this world. 
Luke says in chapter 21, verse 34, his account, he says, Jesus says, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, with empty things, and with drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Watch. Stay awake. Jesus gives another picture there in verse 43. It's a picture of a thief. He says, know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not allow, have allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for, you, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Has anyone here been burgled? I wonder, anyone, hands up, anyone been burgled? Well, uh, were you expecting it? If you were burgled, were you expecting it? Well, I don't think you would have been, uh, would you? Of course you weren't expecting it. Burglars rely on surprise. They come when you don't expect them, and that's Jesus' picture. Now, in the old uh, primitive days at Breeden Hill Road, where I live, the days when there was a pile of bachelors living there, before Carrie-Anne came, we had a burglary, and it wasn't actually at night. Uh, most of us had gone out. It was a hot, sunny day, and all the windows were open. And there was one of my friends who lodged with me was in at the time, and he was upstairs. But when the rest of us came back from our Sunday afternoon walk, then an old laptop that had been in the corner wasn't there anymore. I thought, I'm sure there was a laptop there, but it wasn't. And there was a, so someone had come into the house, hopped over the back wall, or wherever it was, the side gate, and had taken that laptop. And in fact, actually, actually, the police phoned up some weeks later and said, we've got someone who got your laptop. He'd been driving him around the neighborhood, and he said, oh, yeah, I took a laptop from that house. Of course, they didn't recover it, and thankfully it was an old one. It wasn't being used. But a burglar comes when you don't expect it. You don't know when a thief is going to come until it happens. And so Jesus is saying, that's like it is when, when I come back. He says, be ready. Be, be ready all the time because you don't know when he's coming. Or, and we should say as well, you don't know when you will die. You need to be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Stay awake, Christian. Be ready. If you're careless, that day will take you by surprise. There may be some in this room who are not yet ready for that day. How can you be ready? Well, it's by turning to the Lord Jesus. It's by believing that good news which is going into all the world in the times in which we live. You need to go to Jesus and ask him to forgive you your sins because of what he did on the cross. God is being gracious. He's given you all your life so far to hear his good news. You don't know when that time will be up and you'll have no more opportunity to believe. Don't Put it off. Your friends will say you don't need to do that. Don't, you can think about those things when you're older, perhaps, if you're a young person. Or, but when you're older, you'll have another excuse. Don't put it 
off. Believe the good news of the Lord Jesus. We're to be ready. We need to keep alert as God's people. We have a continual battle on our hands, don't we, to, to watch, to stay awake, to pray. So many distractions in our lives. And we need to help one another in this. That's one reason God puts us in churches as God's people to look out for one another. And if I'm forgetting that Jesus is coming up, coming back and I'm living carelessly, well, I need a, a Christian brother or sister to come alongside and say, look, remember, you need to be watchful. You need to be having Jesus at the center of your life. You're sliding away from him. We're to point one another back to him. So, be ready. Jesus is coming back. To just drift through your life is dangerous. Uh, Jesus needs to be at the center of our lives. That's his rightful place. He is the Lord of all creation. Don't say this kind of thing. Well, I'll be all right. I've been brought up in a Christian home. I believe the Bible is true. Don't say, well, I've even been baptized. Where is your heart now? What are you living for? What's at the center of your life? Don't allow your friends to take you away from Jesus. Don't let your your Hopes for the future, your ambitions and your desires come between the Lord Jesus and you. Make him the center of your life. When he is at the center of our life, then we won't lose out. He, he makes our lives better. He doesn't take away our troubles, but we're not on our own. And we know that we are ready for when he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truths that the Lord Jesus teaches us, the reality of these things. We pray that we would not dismiss them from our hearts, that we would not go home and forget about another reminder that Jesus is coming again, that we would all make sure that we are ready for that day, that we would stay alert, that we would watch, that we would be careful, that we are not drawn away back into sin, away into all kinds of things. We pray that you would work these things in us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a final hymn about the Lord Jesus coming again.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Saviour, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.